either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. One more relatively quiet week before more potential blockbusters start coming. Welcome. This is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Mad. He's George Wolf. And we're from MadWolf.com. We've got uh, some in theaters, well, at least one in theaters, and a bunch of streaming movies to talk about. And we'll start with the world searching for a cure to a disastrous virus. What? And a scientist and park scout venture deep into the forest for a routine equipment run that is anything but routine. This is the new one from Ben Wheatley called In the Earth. We had to send a rescue party in to get a group out a couple of months ago. They got lost. Why didn't they use GPRS? There's no fun reception in there. People get a bit funny in the woods sometimes. Wake up. Something's there. I saw something in the woods. It wants to talk. What do you want? Everything seems to just keep us here. And if you're not familiar with Ben Wheatley, well, you should be. Yeah, that's uh, right. We, we like his stuff. Going back to a great horror movie called Kill List. Oh, my. Then he did High Rise. And what else am I forgetting? Well, he did Sightseers. Sightseers, um, yeah. which is funny. And the thing is that he he sort of came up with pretty low budget but incredibly well-made genre films. And then people started giving him some money to make bigger movies, right. which were I've, I've enjoyed. I think I've enjoyed to a certain degree all of his films, but they have sort of evolved into a lot of style over substance. Yeah. substance. This one is, is interesting. First of all, it was filmed completely during... The pandemic, and it was filmed, as I think you said today, in 15 days? Yep, it was. It was conceived, written, and produced kind of during during wow. lockdown. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it's just four actors in the woods, really, is what the whole film is. And it's uh, it's a the storyline is a response to a global pandemic. Yeah, and it's certainly creepy. I mean, if people like you who have an aversion to the woods, <laughs> it's going to be more horrific for them. But it's definitely creepy because once this team of, well, actually, it's just a small team, two people, go into the woods to try to see what happened to the previous team, things start getting freaky. Yeah. And, you know, the thing I think that's interesting about this movie is that it's not a cabin in the woods horror. You know, it's not a typical woodsy horror film. It does have, it's a combination of like a folklore kind of horror film and also something somewhat Lovecraftian. It reminded me a little bit of Annihilation from a few years ago in theme. Right. It's dialed down from Annihilation for sure. And there's not as much sci-fi going on. But uh, it, it reminded me in theme about, uh, like you said this morning, is the maybe the world is the earth is telling us something that we've we've overstayed our welcome. Right. Right. Exactly. And I think that, you know, the it's a very small cast, just really four people. And I think all four of them were great. But um, Martin, played by Joel Fry. He's 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 the scientist who goes into the woods in search of the the previous scientists who they, they can't find. And one of the things I love about the performance is that he's just not meant to be in the woods. No. He's a scientist. <laughs> he's meant to be in a lab. He's not even meant to be around other people. And really. if you don't if you don't know Joel Fry, if you saw yesterday the Beatles cease to exist movie, except for the one guy, he was Rocky, the the singer's uh, Rody. best Rody, and he was a hoot in he that was. movie. He, he was. really was. This is not a hoot no. of a performance. No. In fact, he. <laughs> He takes some punishment 
uh, once he's in the woods. He does. But, uh, I like this guy. I like yeah. Joe Fry. Yeah, I do too. And I thought Martin was a great character. And, uh, and you know, again, I mean, there are only four people. And each one of these actors really carves out a very interesting and unique presence on screen. You know, I think that the movie is going to be a little bit frustrating for some people because it kind of goes off the rails for me in the third act. And partly it should because of the way it's written. And partly I, I think that feels like a cheat. But on the whole, I think that it delivers an effective, if not, you know, brilliant, but an effective woodsy scare. Yeah, don't don't expect a bunch of bloodshed and slashering once we get into the woods. It's not that kind of movie. No. But it is creepy, and there is a, a threatening presence in the woods. Mm-hmm. Let's let's put it that way. Uh, it's not It Comes at Night no. where nothing comes at night. No, no. <laughs> Even though I lo- we both love that movie. We do, but that was the reason that so many people were disappointed. Exactly. And I don't think that's the case here, although, yeah, I, the um, it's more trippy than it is yeah, scary, yeah. and there, there's not a lot of bloodletting, although Martin's foot takes a beating. Martin, yeah, his foot especially, but uh, he, uh, all over, yeah. takes a beating. Poor Martin. But, but it is, it's, it's head trippy a little bit, and that's maybe what reminds me of Annihilation. Sure. Uh, and its theme about the about nature, and again, if we have uh, just gotten to the point where nature says, "All right, enough out of you," right? <laughs> In the earth, and it's perfect for Earth Day, which is either coming up. Is it coming, it's coming up? up? All right, it's coming up. So there you go for your Earth Day celebration. This one though is available only in theaters. Yes, and it's a new one from Ben Wheatley, and uh, and we liked it. Didn't love it, but we liked it. Called In the Earth. Next is a romance of a different sort. A spark on a Friday can lead to a sizzling weekend fling, but what happens when you get to the inevitable? Monday. This is Monday. Are you even serious? He usually leaves with one. Now he comes in with one, huh? Well... Good to know. Thank you. People change, so... It's new, but it's good. Hey! You are not happy unless you're failing. Mickey's not the same as he was six years ago. Mickey's a baby. He's a little boy. She loves you, and she makes you happy. This pure, innocent, romantic, just love at first sight. It was, actually. And here's another one that is in theaters now, and you had a good line this morning on our TV gig. If you wanted to see The Winter Soldier naked, this is the movie for you. Yeah, and then uh, Cameron, I think, one of the TV hosts said, oh, does he have his, his, his backside out? And I said, well, his front side, too. <laughs> He's got all the sides. <laughs> all the sides are out. Yeah, everybody's naked. Uh, well, <laughs> the, the couple, That's let's right. say. It's Two not, people are very naked, yeah, very it's, frequently. It's not just Sebastian Stan, but Denise Goff. Is, uh, Sebastian is Mickey and Denise is Chloe. And they are two Americans in Greece. And they meet at a, at a club where Mickey is the DJ. And Chloe is a lawyer. She's there, but she's uh, doing some work. But she's planning on going back very soon to America, and they begin uh, what could have been a one-night stand, and then it turns into a real whirlwind and dysfunctional romance. Yeah, it's an interesting film in that the majority of the film takes place after where a usual Hollywood romance film ends. Right, that's that's a good point that you brought up this morning and I think is really well placed about this movie because... It took me a while to warm up to this. For a while, I'm going, this is so boring, and what is the point? And I hate both of these people. (laughs) (laughs) They're stupid. They're making stupid choices. (laughs) But as it went along, and I especially liked how it wrapped up. So it it, it took a while, but I, I eventually warmed up to it. Maybe not quite as much as you did, but that's a good point. It starts where a lot of cliched 
rom-coms and romance movies end. Exactly. You know, they they wake up together, they have kind of this whole weekend together, and then she goes to the airport to return home, and he... You know, it's that it's that moment in in these ridiculous movies where the boy rushes to the airport to convince you the can girl catch her. to the, convince the girl yeah. not to go because he really does love her. Mm-hmm. And then that's where most movies end, and that's actually essentially the beginning of this film. It's the end of Act One, and so the rest of the movie follows you through. and And it was interesting to me because I think. You know, in reality, not that there's anything like reality in these, you know, what you would what you would sort of start following through is boring. Right. It'd be like getting to work and mm-hmm. moving your stuff, you know, and, and for them, it's not. It continues to be a bit whirlwindy. And I think that's where it began to lose us because it was like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever. Nobody lives like this. But really, it was very sly direction because what it's what it's actually doing, I think, in one hand, upending a lot of Hollywood tropes. And the other hand, it's saying, let's look at the kind of people who get themselves into this situation yeah, yeah. in the first place. Yeah. And that's where I thought it got very interesting as the movie wore on. And I think there another another bit of evidence to that is, well, first of all, let's try to pronounce the name of the co-writer and director. Argus Papadimitropoulopoulos. I, that's, that's, that's so wrong, but he's Greek, obviously, and uh, this movie is set in Greece. But he purposely, I think... He, Everybody, every time you see a movie in Greece, you're wowed by what it looks like, right. the scenery. You're like, I want to go to Greece right now. Th- this movie does not do that. Doesn't. And there's, it's got to be on purpose for just that reason. In, in liking more about the, the day-to-day existence and the kind of people that aren't interested in that at all because they're flawed and they're troubled. They're not there on vacation and they have some issues. And so the, 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 it's not romanticized. It's not an idyllic setting like a lot of these movies use Greece, the country, to be. Right. The drinking becomes problematic. You know, the partying and the sort of wildness that seems in the first act so carefree. And, well, it isn't. that. You know what I mean? That's not... There's a reason that real people don't behave that way, and the people who do behave that way, especially when you're the age of of these characters, because they are not in their 20s. And so I thought it actually was a very sly film that by the time it wrapped up at the end, it impressed me. Yeah, so so hang with it, because early on I was ready to not hang with it. Unless you're a big fan of typical Hollywood romances, which is funny because the trailer... Seems to appeal to that. So I think it's going yeah. to have a hard time finding an audience because I think people who are going to tune in are not going to like it. Mm. And the people who aren't going to tune in because, like you and I, are not big fans of those sort of roman- romantic comedies or big, you know, big romantic films, we wound up liking it because it's a very interesting take on that. Yeah, and there's, as we alluded to, lots of sex and nudity. So it's got that, too. And <laughs> this one is on, uh, it's on VOD, uh, out now called Monday. How about a vampire flick? We're in. Anne, married to a small-town minister, feels her life has been shrinking over the past 30 years. Encountering the master brings her a new sense of power and an appetite to live bolder. However, the change comes with a heavy body count. This is Jacob's wife. That's odd. You've got new teeth coming in. What? Anne. Oh, good, you're home. Get changed. I'd like to go out. 40 years I've known this woman. Every day the same. Now, I don't know who I'm coming home to. How much of that could I get? You want the blood? I feel more alive than I have in years. It wasn't me. Of course it was you. You don't know how to fight for me because you've never done it. Give me the strength to save her soul. We need to finish this. 
And who is Jacob's wife? That would be one Barbara Crampton. If you don't love Barbara Crampton, we don't want to know you. Has she earned an F? I think she has. Oh, hey, Barbara, Barbara F. F. Crampton. F. F. Crampton, I think so. And if you're a horror fan, you know not only Barbara Crampton, but her co-star as the minister... Uh, Larry Fessenden. You know, and I think that that name maybe um, isn't quite as as commonly known, but he you, you definitely would know his face. He's got such a phenomenal body of work, and not just as an actor, as a, as a producer and director in horror as well. Well, and speaking of producers, Barbara Crampton is a producer here, and apparently this has been a passion project of hers for a while, and I can understand why. Sure. It's a great part for her, and I, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. She sinks her teeth into it. <laughs> <laughs> And she, she does a, just a, a glorious job with it because, yes, this is a vampire story. but And it's really uh, the, the writer, the co-writer and director is Travis Stevens, who did A Girl on the Third Floor, yes. which you reviewed. And he really revels in these B-movie underpinnings. This has such an 80s retro, practical effects, blood-spurting gore. <laughs> uh, all the, just the kind of movies that you probably associate with at least early Barbara Crampton. And it, the movie just revels in it, and it takes a look at a vampire. Okay, because she is, as you heard from the synopsis, Anne is just Jacob's wife, the minister's wife, and that's about it. That's all she is in this small town. And once she gets the bite from the master, she's a totally different woman. She uh, is not making uh, her husband breakfast anymore because she's not hungry. She's wearing tight, low-cut dresses and uh, new hair and makeup. And she has, yes, some strange new appetites, which you can uh, guess what those are. <laughs> and so things are different now. And as the master, and the master, by the way, is played by Bonnie Ahrens, who is not just in the nun. She is the nun. Valak! Very striking features. Yeah. And she makes a great uh, a great demon. And uh, she makes it clear that here the, the idea is not about taking souls. It's about empowering them. So this entire vampire story is a big metaphor for a feminist empowerment. You know, it's interesting because back in 95, um, Fessenden co-wrote, or he wrote, directed, and starred in a movie called Habit, which uses vampirism as a metaphor for addiction. And it was it's a great movie. It's a, it's a low-budget movie, but it's really indie and, and, and a great film. So I find it fascinating. I always think it's interesting when somebody can take really well-worn horror concepts and make them fresh with a, a, a different metaphorical take. Yeah. You know, and it shouldn't go without saying that just um, a movie about a character, a female character of this age who is experiencing a reawakening of spiritual, philosophical, and sexual nature. I mean, that's refreshing to see. Yeah, and it's about time. Yeah, and also I have to say that Barbara Crampton looks fantastic. Yeah, she's gorgeous. <laughs> I mean, the, the first couple of times I was posting about this movie, people people were, were like, has she aged in 40 years? I know, I know. Actually, it was the Schlocketeer, Daniel Baldwin, yeah. who said, I think she might be a vampire. Because <laughs> she is. She's just gorgeous. This movie is a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. The, the knocks I could find against it, first of all, the soundtrack is terrible. Uh, the score, I should say. Right. The soundtrack was disappointing because at one point, she's dancing to the song Bloodletting. Right. Originally by Concrete Blonde, which is great. I'm like, oh, yeah. And then I realized it's not the original version. Is that a budgetary thing? Maybe. Uh, but, um, you know, but those... the sound in general was was uh, it just wasn't great. Yeah, it, it betrays probably the budget. Right. Let's put it that way. But that's that's picking some nits with a very fun movie. And it also doesn't I guess you could point out the fact that it never attacks any systemic reasons why Anne or women like her are kept down and mm -hmm. kept invisible, because especially early on, this movie is rooted very much in the church 
and the minister is preaching a lot about husbands and wives, and husbands love your wife, and wife love your husband. And so you could go there on a broader level about, you know, the, the church and the state and systemic reasons why women are kept repressed, let's mm-hmm. put it that way, and kept invisible. Uh, but it does, it keeps it very local about their marriage, the effect on their marriage, and the effect on her town. But it does that well. Barbara Crampton is fantastic, yep. and there's blood spurting. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> if you like that, I mean, you're going to get your uh, your pound of flesh, so to speak, and pound of blood for this vampire tale. But just had a lot of fun with it, and it's called Jacob's Wife, and it's on VOD, Hulu, I think, right now. Let's go to Shudder next for another horror story. It tells the story of the most haunted house in England. In the 1930s, a young reverend, his wife and daughter, move into a manor with a horrifying secret. This is called The Banishing. Here's another filmmaker, horror filmmaker, that we've always really liked, Christopher Smith, who did, among other things, Severance, which is one of my favorite horror comedies of all time. It's great. So I always look forward to what is in store from him. This movie is a little bit more familiar, really, than anything else he's done before. I mean, just right from the synopsis, you you feel like, well, I might have seen that movie, right? Uh, You move into a... An old haunted English manor. Right. And then there's some, you know, mystery that needs to be solved. And and I think that's the drawback to this film is that it really never does anything surprising or fresh or unique. It's well made. The performances are very strong. It's creepy enough. It's just it, there's nothing about it that really stands out as being new. We should say the lead actress, Jessica Brown Findlay, who plays Marianne, and she's from the Downton Abbey. <laughs> that was bad. Down to, I forget the accent that I used to do for that. Anyway, uh, she's good. Jessica Brown Findlay. Yeah, she's very charming. She does a great job in in a role, you know, that we've seen so many, so many times, especially in these kind of haunted house movies where the woman, the mother, she thinks that she's seeing things. And is she crazy or is she right? I mean, this is a really, really common trope for horror. And she does a great job. And also uh, Sean Harris pops up as well. Yeah. And he's um, he's in certain ways the reason to see the film. He's just this sort of whispering weirdo all also the way known through. As ginger nonsense. That's right. He, he is ginger nonsense in this one. <laughs> Yeah, so it's what it covers familiar territory. Uh, not great, but decently spooky. Yeah, it's very solid. Yeah, and that's on Shudder right now called The Banishing. Next, we'll go to HBO for a documentary that paints a remarkable picture of America and how the rise of civic and economic reinvention is transforming small cities and towns across the country. This is Our Towns. We've been traveling and reporting. We thought there must be something going on in America. People wanted to talk about their town. We are fixing what needs to be fixed around here. Almost every place we went, people said, the U.S. is really in horrible shape. But here, things are really moving ahead. What's your secret? We all come together. If it can happen here in the poorest of all states, then the positive things are replicable elsewhere. The story of my town is the American story of this era. There's something really hopeful 
I think, about this film and and. You know, just the honest portrayal that it that it has. Yeah, it is hopeful at a time when we can use the kind of hope that it is presenting. It focuses on uh, James and Deborah Fallows, husband and wife team of, they've been longtime reporters and researchers and writers. And a few years back, they published their book, Our Towns. And now uh, directors Stephen Asher and Gene Jordan put them front and center of sort of the companion piece, the, the movie, the documentary version of this, where they focus on eight small towns across the country and and dive in to see just what they've done on a hyper-local basis to re-emerge successfully, both uh, socially and economically, to to save their towns and make their towns thrive. And I found it very interesting because you it takes a little while before they reveal their one big rule as they were doing this. It was to never speak about national politics. Because right away you're thinking, well, where's the, the incredible divide, you know, the, the forceful divide that we have here in this country politically? And they made sure they were not going to go there. This was all about locality. What are you doing here? What's going on just in this neighborhood? And uh, so it focuses on some really great success stories of cities such as uh, Bend, Oregon, and East Point, Maine, and Charleston, West Virginia, and things that they've done to come back from the brink of bankruptcy and and the opioid crisis and things like that. And it doesn't get really too specific. It sort of glosses over some of it. But still, it's a very hopeful message because when you hear words like investment and innovation and diversity, they've become buzzwords so much. Oh, yeah, we have to have more of that. Well, here's a case where you can see it in practice that some towns in this country have found a way to actually implement those buzzwords mm-hmm. into their policies. So, yes, it is possible. So you're right. It's very hopeful in that ways. And and maybe if people want to dig more into it, they can find the specifics, maybe, of how some of these uh, cities get it done. But it is, it is very hopeful. It's also gorgeous. The cinematography right. is fantastic. And the drone, they use a lot of drone footage to fly over these these towns and and see some some sights, and that's just fantastic, too. So if you happen to have a maybe a big screen uh, in your house or in your TV room or something like that, there would be even more uh, more to appreciate here because the, the drone footage and the cinematography is gorgeous. But it is. It's a very hopeful message about what we can still accomplish, and it starts right in our own neighborhood. Uh, it's called uh, Our Towns. It's on HBO right now. Next is another documentary. It captures the vivid life of Bill Trailer, who in his late 80s, Living homeless on the street in the thriving, segregated black neighborhood of Montgomery, Alabama, produced a body of extraordinary art. It's called Bill Trailer Chasing Ghosts. I think Bill Trailer is probably the greatest artist you've never heard of, but he's getting heard of more and more. Trailer's an inspired visualist. That's the only way you arrive at work that's that distinct, that esoteric, that visually elegant and refined. Bill Trailer lived his life between two radically different worlds, rural and urban, old and new, black and white. When I see Bill Trailer's work, I see us yearning for a place that's beyond here, it's a place that's not tangible. This is a quick one, about 75 minutes, but it's very, very interesting, especially if you don't know much or anything about Bill Trailer as I didn't, but he was born a slave, and even after emancipation, he worked most of his life as a sharecropper, and he spent a lot of years homeless, and it wasn't until he was 85 years old that he started drawing, 
and he would draw just on things he found on the street, boxes and and people's junk and, and signs. He'd turn them over and, and draw on them. And it wasn't until, well, he, he died in 1949 at the age of 96, but by the 1970s, he started getting a lot of attention as a an incredible example of self-taught folk art and getting really pushed to the forefront by some of these art critics. And it is, it's a fantastic body of work in such a short time. For He, he turned out about 1,500 pieces just from 1939 to 1942. Wow. And then he eventually died in, uh, in 1949. So you see some great art. There's some great spoken word pieces that, uh, that go along with the, the times and along with his timeline. And, and uh, it's presented in very, very entertaining style that keeps you invested. The writer's Fred Barron and the director is Jeffrey Wolf. But really, if you're interested in art or, or, or history or just folklore at all, I'd really encourage this because it teaches you a lot in a short time. And it's a, it's a really good primer to maybe then you could look more up on your own and uh, find out more about a fascinating guy and a great self-taught artist, Bill Trailer. This is called Bill Trailer Chasing Ghosts. And it's available now in a virtual screening room. That's right. It's a Kino Lorber film, so you can get it. Uh, there are a lot of places uh, you can get it. Gatewayfilmcenter.org or Drexel.net. So, yeah, we enjoyed it. Well, we'll stay with the art theme next. This one is about Israel Rifa Hernandez Jr., an 18-year-old Colombian immigrant and talented artist, spending his last summer in Miami with friends, family, and his new girl before moving to New York City on an art scholarship. It's called Rifa. There's this building that just got sold, and I want to do a piece on it right before they tear it down. How are you going to pull this off? I'm going to pull it off overnight. Yeah, it's going to kill you if you get arrested. This will change everything. After this, I get taken seriously as an artist. I start getting paid. I help out my family. It's not worth getting your ass arrested. You know how hard I work trying to keep my city uh, clean? Can you get caught painting? You don't just get a slap on the wrist. Get deported. This is every day if you brown you black. Graffiti is the voice for the people who aren't heard. People will know my name. Brandon Thomas reviewed this one for us at madwolf.com. And he was impressed and also a little bit dismayed by the filmmaking itself. There's a, a great central performance and some other really great performances around a story that it, it, it tries too hard, kind of telegraphs in, in advance where it's going to go. And, uh, and then there's also kind of a tacked on romance that feels overly scripted and uh, lacks in chemistry. So it's unfortunate because it's a it's an interesting story, a tragic story about uh, a really talented artist. But and it's not it's a bad film. It just probably could have been better. Yeah, not a documentary, but definitely follows uh, the life of an artist taken way too soon. And the lead performance you mentioned, Tyler Dean Flores plays uh, Rifa Hernandez, and uh, yeah, very good in that lead role. But uh, you want to check out the full written review, you can find Brandon's at madwolf.com. And Rifa available on VOD now. It's a bargain. Six ninety nine rental on Prime. And one more, a mystery sci-fi thriller when a lowly postman is inducted into a top-secret superhuman DNA program at a research facility. It's revealed that he'll be able to receive, control, and send information based on the senses of of others. This is called sensation. All of you have above average abilities. What kinds of abilities are these? Your senses. How do I know you aren't just making this up? You don't. I will teach you the most amazing things. Are you ready for the next part of your training? Right. You need to be able to trust each other. Follow him. Urgent situations need urgent solutions. You 
and me will be like gods. Why would anyone stay here? This was reviewed for us at MadWolf.com by Phil Garrett and... Let's just say he did not think Sensation was sensational. No, at its best, it's kind of a love note to sci-fi, and and it's got its charms in that. Unfortunately, it has absolutely nothing new at all to add to the genre, and it's not very well made. So it, you know, they're uh, it's very talky and just not great. And it's all it's streaming uh, VOD outlets now called Sensation, and you can find Phil's review at MadWolf.com. All right, let's get updated on the latest news and head to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Back in the lobby, and we find, as always, Daniel Baldwin, a.k.a. the Schlocketeer. Got a fresh batch of rescheduled dates, rescheduled movies. What do you, What's going on? Well, uh, Zhang Yimao, I'm not sure if I pronounced that right, but his new spy thriller, Cliff Walkers, is opening in theaters on April 30th, later this month. And also arriving on April 30th is the indie film Golden Arm. What is Golden Arm? Well, based on the trailer I watched, uh, it can best be described as a gender-swapped take on the Stallone classic, in quotes, over the top. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> it looks funny. I'll give it that. Arm wrestling. <laughs> yeah, truckers arm wrestling. <laughs> and uh, Sony will release their Tiffany Haddish and Billy Crystal comedy here today in theaters on May 7th. The great Mads Mikkelsen has a Danish revenge thriller titled Writers of Justice arriving next month. That'll hit theaters on May 14th and then VOD a week later on the 21st. Um, that one's from writer-director Anders Thomas Jensen, who wrote the, I don't know if you saw Mads Mickelson's Western, The Salvation, a few years ago, but I really enjoyed that, and this one looks pretty good. And beyond that, Amazon has announced that they will be releasing a follow-up special to Borat 2 later this year that'll consist of deleted scenes, extended sequences, and behind-the-scenes footage, and it will be called Borat Supplemental Reportings Retrieved from Floor of Stable Containing Editing Machine. (laughs) (laughs) They've already got a trailer out for it if anyone wants to take a look at it. Nice. (laughs) Oh, no, I should say, very nice. Very nice. (laughs) Well, apparently some of the -the behind-the-scenes footage uh, show some bloopers of people either recognizing him or him cracking up in the middle of a routine, so that should be pretty funny. I'm not making this up. I'm wearing my Borat socks right now. They sent us Borat <laughs> socks when the movie go. came out. These just, you know, the socks that he wears, like with the red, white, and blue stripes, and I have them on right now. now I've got two more things that aren't date tied. One made me happy, and the other one uh, kind of ticked me off a little bit. But uh, the first one is that you know, in addition to working on new TV projects for Netflix, Mike Flanagan has finally set up his next film at Universal, an adaptation of the Christopher Pike 1993 sci-fi horror novel, The Season of Passage, which I haven't read, but it's Flanagan, so it's got my attention. Mm-hmm. And then the last one, I'm not sure if you saw me post about it or not, but they have announced the title of the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie, and it will be called... <laughs> Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> <laughs> I did see that, which makes this the third in the franchise just called Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. There's also one that's just called Texas Chainsaw, and right. then there are two different movies in the franchise called Leatherface, just to make it all that much more <laughs> confusing. <laughs> a friend of mine joked that maybe if this one gets a sequel, they'll just call it The Leatherface. <laughs> you know, that's not even more. It, it absolutely drives me wild 
when uh, studios do this stuff, especially when it's this is supposed to be a sequel. I'm pretty sure it ignores all the past sequels, you know, like a lot of franchises are doing. Mm-hmm. But if if you're going to have a sequel, I understand not wanting to throw a number on there, but give it a subtitle. Change the title around a little bit. Don't make me have to talk to someone in a conversation about Texas Chainsaw Master and continuously have to throw year dates behind it just so someone knows what the hell I'm talking about. <laughs> right. <laughs> You can always uh, get more rants and information from Daniel Baldwin. You can find him at the Schlocketeer. Thank you, as always. All right. Thanks for having me. Well, looking ahead to next week, we've had a couple of quiet weeks, but we've got a big one that was actually supposed to come down this week, but it got pushed to next week, and that's Mortal Kombat. Also, Together Together, which I'm looking forward to. Uh, The Asset. Bloodthirsty. Ooh, is that a horror movie? It is. All right. And Boys from County Hell. It's an Irish horror movie, that last one. Oh, nice. Get our Irish up. So there might be more popping up, as there usually is, and we'll check them out together. So in the meantime, let us know what you thought about anything this week. You can always find us and keep the conversation going on Twitter. That's the easiest, at Mad Wolf, or on Facebook and Instagram. It is Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website with all our written reviews and our other horror movie-only podcast. If you like horror movies, come sit next to us, and that is called Fright Club. You can find all of that at madwolf.com. So until next week, keep in touch if you can. Stay well. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. <laughs>